Well, there's too many youth leaving. Too many youth leaving. I don't know. They left some gaps. You might need to fill some gaps. Well, so we give you 10 minutes to go over to McDonald's and grab some people. <laughs> you laugh, but one day. You know, the cool thing, we're not here yet, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, but when we start reading later on in the book of Acts, you see what God does in the, in the church in Antioch, and it's a great move of God. And I'll tell you one of the coolest things, one of the, the most uh, pivotal things that happens is that Barnabas sees that God's moving. And he goes and gets Saul, who's later to be called Paul. He goes and gets him and brings him and says, you got to see what God is doing. And uh, I just love that because that was the beginning of uh, Paul, you know, from, from that church, from that city, he was launched into the missionary journey. He was launched into the, into the ministry. And so really... Um, there, there's definite scriptural basis for seeing that God's doing something and having the urge to go grab people and bring them. And so maybe someday, you know, the glory of God will just be filling the place and, uh, you know, signs and wonders and miracles are happening. And, and there's part of you that just wants to stay in it and just enjoy it. And there's another part of you that says, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit speaks up and says, go, go over there and grab somebody. They need to hear this. And I wouldn't be surprised if God does that. And I'm in fact, you know, it's, it's, it's a mistake for us to get insulated and think that this is, this group is fine. You know, whoever's in the building, they're going to get blessed. We want this to spread out into the streets. You know, I'm going to tell you, um, well, let's just open our Bibles to the book of Acts, and we're going to go ahead and get launched into, um, Trudy, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Do you mind if you put that up in the English Standard Version t tonight? Um, this kind of ties along. I didn't mean to go in this direction, but it, it certainly ties into what we're about to read. Um, because I really believe that this city needs some joy. They need some real joy. Lloyd Minster needs joy. It needs the joy of the Lord. Needs the power of the Holy Spirit. Lloyd Minster's got a lot of money. Lloyd Minster's got a lot of stuff, but Lloyd Minster doesn't have a lot of joy. And there's a source of joy that the, the city needs. And it's not in the stuff. And it's not in, the, in, in, a, in a pay hike. It's not in what they think it's in. The joy is going to come from a move of God in our city. And the move of God in our city is not going to come because God just finally decides he's going to move. Because God has done what he needs to do. He's already paved a way. He's already poured out his spirit. He's already said, here you go. It's about his people stepping out and seeing something happen. So as I kind of joked about bringing people in off the streets, you know, I'm reminded of... Um, of when we had a great uh, time and, and, and the Holy Spirit really caught a hold of us, uh, one youth camp. And I remember coming back on the bus, and it was late, and the kids from Macklin, we got, we got a Macklin boy right there. With the, the guys from Macklin, the youth from Macklin, got in their cars and headed back to Macklin, and it was uh, July 1st weekend. It was, in fact, July 1st, and so people were, you know, out late and partying or whatever. And uh, these kids that were from Macklin, they got back to Macklin late at night, but they weren't ready to go to bed. And they were so fired up with what God did that they were pulling cars over. You know, I mean, they weren't, like, acting like they were the police or anything, but they were... They were flagging their friends down. They were flagging their classmates down. And they, were, they, they couldn't wait until the next time they saw them. They were flagging them down and telling them about Jesus. They were flagging them down and laying hands on people. And we saw people saved even from that. And so, you know, what happens here, like we said on the day of Pentecost, what happens in the upper room spills out into the streets. 
And that's what's meant to happen. And so, I, you know, don't be surprised if on a Wednesday night you just say, you know what, let's go. Let's go out to Dairy Queen. Let's go out to McDonald's. Let's go out wherever, Tim Hortons, whatever you, wherever you go. Let's go out and let's just see what God does. You know, and uh, just don't be surprised when God moves in unexpected ways. Uh, but he's going to use you to do it. So in Acts chapter 8, uh, we've left off, uh, if you'll recall a couple of weeks ago, when we were last in the book of Acts, um, you recall Stephen preached that wonderful message, and then he was stoned to death. And when he preached that message, it says that it cut the people that heard it right to the quick. It, it, it hit them right in the heart. It cut past all of their education. It cut past all of their prejudices. It cut past everything they thought they kind of had shielded themselves. Again, it cut them right to the heart. One of those guys, and, and the reaction was, like I said before, when there were a group of people on the day of Pentecost that were pierced to the heart, they immediately bowed down and said, what can we do to be saved? But these people, when they were cut to the heart, they rejected Jesus and they got angry because the gospel preached in the power of the Holy Spirit will always produce a reaction. You can't really hear a word from the Lord and stay neutral. That's the dangerous thing about coming to church. It's dangerous coming to church. It's a bad decision to come to church and hope to stay the same. That's just a bad decision. You shouldn't come to church if you want to stay the same. Because what will happen is, is God speaks to your heart, and if you reject it, you don't stay the same. You get harder. You get calloused. You go further, backwards. But the great thing is, is when God speaks to your heart, there's an opportunity to respond to it. And you don't have to meet him. He meets you, and he brings you. If you'll receive the word implanted, the Bible says, receive the word of God implanted in you. If you'll receive it, it will do in you what it needs to do. It'll accomplish something in you. The power of a seed is not in the ground. It's in the seed. Right? right? You, don't, you don't go out and walk into a field and just expect and just hope. that you Just say, you know, field, if you tried harder, you could produce some apple trees. You don't walk into a field and say, boy, if you worked a little bit, if you were a better field, we'd have peaches this summer. You just know it's a field, and without the seed, it can't produce anything. But the seed has to hit good soil, right? So your heart is the soil for the seed of God's word. And when God sows his word into your heart, if you'll receive it, that will, the seed of the word of God, will produce what it's meant to produce. So if God speaks to you about healing, and you receive it as a word from the Lord, then God can work healing in you and through you because you received his word. If God speaks to you about stepping out, walking in love and forgiving the people you don't want to forgive and you hear the word of God and instead of saying, I'd rather not. And you say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Yes, Lord. When you receive that, there is a power to love that you didn't have before. There's a power to forgive that you didn't have before. Because it's not about hearing and learning and saying, I'm going to do what I learned. It's about hearing and receiving and letting the word perform a work in you. Letting God's power in his word produce something in you. One of the ladies that I really respect a lot. I was listening to her preach just a little bit ago. And she's like a mother in the faith. She said, there's just this one phrase. And she was like really not even preaching at the moment. She was just kind of setting something up. But she said, you know, dead religion, man-made religion, 
or you know, dead works, dead, you know, dead religion where it, where it really causes harm is when you know more than you do. That's what causes that dead religion in your life is when you know more than you're willing to do. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> because, you know, when you grew up in the church since you're a little kid, you know a lot. You know, whether you know you know what you know. Does the math work out on that? Whether you know you know what you know, you know more than you know. And you've received a lot. You've heard a lot. And there's more, the more you hear, the more responsibility there is to act on it. So God's word was working through Stephen to cut to the heart. It was the mercy of God that did this. Because really, you might think that God just wanted to make them angry. God was not there to make them angry. God was there to give them an opportunity to repent. When they rejected the opportunity, they were so stung in the heart that they got angry. And that's why people, when you come to a church service where God is really moving, you got people that are changed and responding and repenting and, and being delivered and set free and healed. And you got people that leave angry. Some people don't even know why they're angry. But it's because when you start to feel God poking your heart, you got a choice. So Saul is the guy that's holding the coats while they stone Stephen. He's heard the whole message. We find out later, and I told you this a few weeks ago, but we find out later that Jesus, when he finally, when, when Paul finally got knocked down on the road and Jesus spoke to him, Jesus told him, it's been hard for you to kick against the goads. I've been prodding you and you've been kicking against it. And that's been hard for you. We, we, so you say, how did he kick against the goads? How did, he, how did he kick against the word of God? Well, we see it very clearly in Acts chapter 8. Immediately after Stephen preaches that message, it says in verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement. He approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. You guys know that he wasn't ravaging the church before he heard this message. But when he heard the message and the Holy Spirit started poking his heart so that he'd repent, he didn't like that. So he starts ravaging the church. He's angry. He's kicking at something. You ever have somebody that's just mad at you because you represent Jesus? You didn't do anything to tick them off, but they're mad at you. You say, don't be mad at me. I'm not Jesus. But rejoice, Peter says, when you're persecuted for his sake. Rejoice in that. That's a good thing. James says the same thing. If you're, if you're persecuted for the Lord's sake, rejoice. So here's what happens. Saul's kicking against the church because he's kicking against God. And he's entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He later confesses to Jesus that he even had some of them put to death. How angry would you have to be? How zealous against the word of the Lord would you have to be to make that happen? So the result of this is, now remember, can anybody tell me when Jesus said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, where did he say they'd be his witnesses? Can anybody tell me one place? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. All right, what was the next place? Judea. Judea. All right, next place. Samaria. Samaria. Next place. To the ends of the earth, right? He said, you will be my witnesses 
After what? After you, the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You receive power. You're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. Then you're going to spread out through the whole province of Judea. Then you're going to go to Samaria. And then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to go all over the world preaching the gospel. Well, the church got a hold of that message. And they preached in Jerusalem. And then they stopped. Because this is what we like to do. When we get something really going... When we get a move going, we get a lot of people showing up at church and, and praise and worship is kicking and, 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 you know, we get to know everybody and we're having a great time. Nobody wants to leave. What if we had a great church service? What if the church just grew to the point that the walls couldn't hold us? We're having a wonderful time. Every service, you just feel the presence of God. You're hearing the word of God. You love the people around you. And then the word of the Lord says, now go and start a church in Frenchman Butte. And everybody go, you must be talking to those guys because I'm here. This is where God called me. And you get real spiritual with the Lord. You called me here to this church. Well, I believe if God's sending you to Frenchman Butte, he's going to confirm. And you're part of whatever church you're part of, God can confirm that with the leaders, right? You're not just going to go and say, I'm going to start something. God can confirm it. He puts those people in your life for a reason. But here's the deal. None of us would want to leave. You want to be where it's happening. You don't want to go where it's not happening yet. So the church got all fired up. They preached in Jerusalem, and that was a big victory. Because in Jerusalem, that was the city that had persecuted them. That was the city that killed Jesus. That was the city they were afraid to even set foot in. And now that city is being turned upside down. And there's a great church. Thousands are coming to believe every week. Or month, or I don't know. But it says regularly thousands are joining. People are being baptized. This is exciting. But nobody's leaving until Saul starts persecuting the church. Then they're forced to leave. That's a bad thing. God didn't cause Saul to persecute the church, right? Because in order to do that, he would have had to put murder in Saul's heart. And the Bible says that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt with evil. The precursor to that verse is is, found in the book of James. James says, don't let anyone ever say, I'm tempted by the Lord. You might have somebody say, well, well, you know, I've just, I, I, I believe God, God wanted that, you know, that, that gunman to go off and shoot up that school. That's not right. Because the Bible says that God does not tempt anyone with evil. He doesn't do it. And so here, Saul's persecuting the church. God didn't make him do it. But something good did come out of it, which is that the church was scattered. Now, that might not have seemed good at the time, but the one good thing is something poked them. Something was prickly that poked them out of the nest, and they began to spread out. One of those guys was Philip. And in verse 4, it says this, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Can you imagine that? Why were they scattered? Because they were preaching the word. Why were they being persecuted? Because they were preaching the word. So you'd think if they're going to be scattered, they're going to go and just be quiet, right? I don't want to cause any more trouble. This is what happened in my last place. I don't want to get kicked out of my new place. So I'm just going to just be an undercover Christian, an undercover agent for Jesus. I'm going to be secret and I'm going to, and you you might make it sound holy. Some of you do this. Some of you make it sound holy so that you don't feel guilty about it. And you'll say, you know what? I'm just going to let my life preach. (laughs) 
So you think smiling at the lady in the grocery aisle is your, is your work for the Lord for the week. Now, praise God. Smile. Amen. Let your life preach. Yeah. The Bible says that by your lifestyle, you are wearing your doctrine. You're adorning what you believe. So that is absolutely part of the gospel. But a big chunk of the gospel, the Bible says, how can they believe if they've never heard? And how could they hear if there's not a preacher? You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Yeah, you are. Just because you don't have a microphone in your hand doesn't make you not a preacher. You might not be called to preach and teach at the church every week. Doesn't mean you're not a preacher. Doesn't mean you're not a minister of the gospel. Doesn't mean you don't know what Jesus has done for you and what he wants to do for those people you come in contact with. You're a preacher. Yeah, that's right. Get used to it. So Philip, remember Philip's job? Does anybody remember Philip's job? His job was the same as Stephen. Make sure widows get fed fairly. Nobody told him, make sure widows get fed fairly and go preach. But he knew it was just natural as a believer to preach the gospel. You don't have to be told that. That's part of who we are. So Philip goes and says, everybody, not just Philip, but everybody who's scattered goes preaching the word wherever they go. Isn't that awesome? And it says in the next verse, in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, the Messiah. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Samaritans, but they were the weirdos, the cult of the day. It's not a surprise that Jesus, remember, Jesus told a parable, and he, I mean, in the parable, you remember, the, we use this phrase all the time. We say that that person was a good Samaritan, right? You remember how Jesus used that phrase? He used a Samaritan, and everybody was surprised that the good guy in the story was a Samaritan. Can you imagine how much you must hate a group of people that, that in order to shock you, we'd make the good guy in the story a Samaritan? Can you imagine if we were so, we were just, we really could not stand people from Vermilion. And we just, you know, those Vermilion folks, they're weird. They, they're idol worshipers. They're terrible people. And can you imagine if I got up and I began to tell a story and I said, you know, a preacher walked by a guy and he was lying in the road and the preacher did nothing. A doctor walked by him and he did nothing. Oh, a, a lawyer walked by him and he did nothing. And we're all going, oh, why is nobody helping this guy? And then I say, a man from Vermilion helped that guy. Well, to us, that's no big deal. But imagine if you hated people from Vermilion. You'd be like, oh no, not a guy from Vermilion. He's probably going to kick him while he's down. <laughs> and then the shocker in the story is the man from Vermilion picked him up and paid for him to go to the hospital. And can you imagine hating people from Vermilion so much that you were like, no way. People from Vermilion would never do that. That's how the Jews saw the Samaritans. Give you a little background. Way back before Judah and, and, and the rest of Israel were separated. See, under King Saul and King David and King Solomon, all of those tribes were one. But then something happened. There was a king after Solomon that said one of the stupidest things he could have said. Jerusalem is too far. It's too far. 
I don't want to go up there to worship God. We want a closer place. He said, so there was a, a, an altar built in Dan. There was a place to worship God in Dan. And, and, and eventually there was sort of a civil battle, civil war, and the, the tribes split. So Judah and the southern tribe went this way, and, and the northern tribes went this way. And so the Samaritans were part of the northern tribes that split that were later taken away by the Assyrians. The Assyrians let some of them go back to their homeland. But by then, they were so far from knowing the true God. They were really messed up. First of all, they, they still believed that they were, this was their holy mountain. It wasn't Mount Sinai. It was Mount Gerizim. They believed that. They, they had twisted the old Bible stories. All of them, they kind of twisted. They had an echo of truth, but they were wrong. They had mixed idol worship with the worship of the true God. They had mixed those two things together. You know, it was the Samaritans, when Nehemiah came back with the Jews to go rebuild the walls, it was the Samaritans that were making fun of them and saying, who do these guys think they are? So by the time Jesus comes around, the Samaritans are hated. They're a cult. They worship idols. They're, you know, they think they're still worshiping the true God, but they're messed up. They were the cousins you didn't want to admit were your cousins. And they didn't like the Jews either. Tell me if you've heard this story. Do you remember when the two of the disciples wanted to call down fire on a village? Do you know why that happened? Because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he passed through a village with the Samaritans. And the Samaritans would have been happy to see Jesus except they found out he was on his way to Jerusalem. And they said, if you're on your way to Jerusalem, you're no friend of ours. Get out of our village. So James and John say, Lord, call down fire on these punks. You know what? No one will notice. We don't care about these guys anyways. Call down fire on them. The world will be a better place if they just go away. John, interestingly enough, later became the apostle of love, right? The, the guy that wants to call down fire on a village that didn't respond. But these are the Samaritans. The Jews hate them so much that when they're trying to insult Jesus, remember what they said? You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. It was the worst thing they could have said. Being a Samaritan was on the same level as having a demon. Those are the same. Equal burns right there. You're a Samaritan, you have a demon, and your mother, she wasn't even married when she had you. So these were the barbs they're throwing around. Philip goes down to Samaria. What do you think he's supposed to do? He preaches the gospel. Now, I'm going to tell you, if we were to be honest with one another, because it's just us, right? Just us. Just us and whoever listens to the podcast. So let's just be honest. When it comes to people you're comfortable sharing Jesus with, you know, it's almost easier to share Jesus with people that don't believe in anything than it is with, say, a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim. Why? Because you think they already believe what they believe, don't you? You think that they're going to argue with you and you're not going to have anything to say. And I got to be honest with you, I felt the same way before. Where you think, boy, just God send me to somebody that just doesn't know anything about anything and, and just doesn't, hasn't yet believed in anything. At least it'll be a blank slate. But don't send me to those people that already have their belief system and it's so messed up and, and I don't know what to say to them. And they're probably going to just argue with me and quote the company line. 
Don't you know Jesus loves them too? Don't you know that I, I mean, that Jesus has songs waiting to be written in Arabic. Don't you know that that little building down the street could be used for the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom hall? And I don't care about the building near as much as I care about the people. God loves these people. You know, they may have some messed up beliefs. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to come out and say that because we do have some strong disagreements. I mean, I, we can get along with a lot of churches in Lloyd. But one of the things we do not move on is that Jesus was the Son of God and that it is by grace alone through faith that we're saved. Can't budge on that. So you want to know why we can get along with these churches and then maybe not, not be the same as these? That's the line. Because that's the, the scriptural line. That's, that's the core of what the gospel is. Nevertheless, what's stopping you from preaching the gospel to them? What's stopping you from sharing the word of God? So Philip goes down to Samaria. He proclaims to them the Messiah. And it says the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard let me, I skipped to a different translation. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Remember, what does signs mean? Sign, does, sign and miracles are two different words. Signs and wonders are two different words. Signs in the Bible means a miracle, a supernatural event that proves what you're saying is true, that points to something. So when Jesus performed signs, it was proving he was the Messiah. When Philip starts, when signs start taking place, it's proving that the gospel he's preaching is not just another philosophy, but it's true. So when they see the signs and they hear him preach, they're believing what they're hearing. And in verse 7, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had, who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Now, why did unclean spirits leave in such numbers? Well, because every unclean spirit has, has to be under and bow down to the name of Jesus. Not only that, but Philip is filled with what? The Holy Spirit. That spirit is holy. These spirits are unclean. And when holiness comes in contact with unclean, something's going to give. And in this case, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit meets unclean spirits, those unclean spirits run away. Now, what do you have in you? You got the Holy Spirit. Do you got, do you got Holy Spirit Junior? Do you have Holy Spirit with training wheels? Do you have, I mean, do you have Holy Spirit with the safety on? I hope not. He doesn't, he doesn't work that way. You've got the Holy Spirit. So if you're coming in contact with unclean spirits and nothing's moving, how full of the Holy Spirit are you? Because when you walk out full of the Holy Spirit, things begin to shift. And when he's preaching, signs and wonders, unclean spirits are coming out. You know, when Jesus cast unclean spirits out of people, they were healed. They were delivered. It says many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Praise God. That's awesome. 
Now this says in verse 8, I love this verse. So there was much joy in that city. There was much joy in that city. King James says there was great joy in the city. Does anybody here want to see much joy in Lloydminster? You want to see great joy? I want to see great joy in Lloyd. You know how that happens? You preach the gospel. You cast out evil spirits. You see people healed. Great joy comes to your city. Not when you pussyfoot around it. Will you try to play both sides? Will you come in and just try to fit in with everybody else? But when you come into your city and you proclaim Jesus and you just let Jesus do what Jesus does, great joy comes to your city. I want great joy in this city. Philip sees great joy in the city because God's doing what God does. Not because Philip's anything extra special. Philip's just a guy full of the Holy Spirit. He's not an apostle. He's not appointed as a missionary. Several, several years later, he gets called Philip the Evangelist. But up to this point, he's just Phil. He's just Phil. Brother Phil goes to Samaria. Sounds like a good children's book series, doesn't it? Brother Phil goes to Samaria. Brother Phil goes to the mall. All right, start writing this down because this is gold right here, gold. No, I'm just kidding. No, Mary's about to write down. No, 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 no. Just joking. I love seeing the result of just obeying the word of God and just saying, all right, I'm going to put everything on him. And if he says, go out and preach, remember what he said, signs and wonders will confirm the word of God. Signs and wonders will confirm the word. So when you preach the word and you preach Jesus, signs and wonders will follow. I wonder how many people could be healed if we just prayed for them. If we just, just spoke to them. I mean, how many people could be healed if they knew that was an option? I'm reminded of, uh, <laughs> I missed out on something cool because uh, a few years back we were in the Philippines and, and um, I had to leave early. I had to get back to work. And so we had seen God do awesome things. We had seen many miracles, many people get born again. But uh, the next week, uh, my, the rest of my family, my sister, my mom, my dad, they were going up into the mountains, into the villages of Mindanao. And there was, a lot of, um, there was a lot of Muslim villages there, and there was a lot of tribal villages that believed, you know, um, in more traditional uh, tribal religion. And so uh, they went up there, and uh, I remember dad telling this story. Maybe you've heard me tell it. But dad told me the story of, of a guy that had fallen from a coconut tree and been paralyzed from the neck down. No recovery from that. He'd snap something in his spinal column. That doesn't just grow back. That's it. Game over. That's the ball game. And here, that's a tough life. It's an even tougher life when you're in a village remote in the mountains that doesn't have facilities to take care of you. Best thing you've got is friends that will carry you somewhere. So... Dad was preaching the gospel. People were hearing. People were listening. As he's preaching and everybody's facing him, he's facing them. He sees people take a chair while he's preaching. Now, they brought these plastic chairs up the mountain in a garbage truck. And they everybody had to get out of the garbage truck so that the garbage truck could even make it up the mountain. Carrying these plastic chairs. So these plastic chairs are gold. These are valuable. 
They may not be much to you and me, but when you cart these chairs all the way from Depolog, all the way over here and up the mountain through the jungle, those chairs are valuable. Not because they're expensive, because you went through a lot of work to get them here. Somebody takes the chair away, and dad's battling as he's preaching. He's like, do I stop? And say, hey, give that chair back. In the name of Jesus, I arrest you. <laughs> he just lets it go. He says, all right, you know what's more, what, what's more important? Preaching the gospel. All right, let's preach the gospel. Well, it turns out those guys come back. And on that plastic chair, they've got their friend who's paralyzed. So dad is praying for people at the end, laying hands on people. People are getting healed. And they bring this guy forward. Guy can't do more than, you know, move his face. So dad lays his hands on him. And he says, he instantly sees this guy. And I don't mean to gross you out, but as God's touching this man, he loses control of his bladder and he kind of relieves himself there. He sees embarrassed. But something else has happened. He's feeling pins and needles where he hasn't felt them before in a long time since he fell from the tree. But nothing else happened. So they went home. We get a phone call the next week. That man, in the next couple days, regained full use of every part of his body. But here's the deal. When the gospel was preached the first time, many were saved. But when that guy started running through the village telling people what Jesus did for him, the rest of the village came to Jesus. And there was great joy in that village. To this day, there are believers in that village because of that man. This was happening on a massive scale as Philip was preaching. Paralyzed people. You know, you got skeptics. Who say, oh, you know, I think those healing me, I think when, I think when you pray for somebody, there's, you know, a lot of adrenaline. They, they think, you know, they feel better, but, you know, they go home and it's back again. And that may happen from time to time, and that's not God's fault, that's people's fault. But let me tell you something. It might not even be anybody's fault, but it's just sometimes that happens. God still does a real, amazing, indisputable miracles to this day. And when paralyzed people get healed... You can't fake that. Who would want to? These are people that they knew. These are people that lived in their town. These are people they walked by. Remember, one of the first miracles that happened in the early church was the same thing. A paralyzed guy got healed. Well, he wasn't paralyzed so much as his legs never worked. He got healed. So God's doing this on a regular basis. They see this, and they're saying, it's backing up what he's saying. Because you know, when you just put a philosophy against a philosophy... You just have an argument on your hands. But when you put the power of God with the word of God, and you see those things working together, you can't argue with what you're seeing with your very eyes. Jesus said, believe me because of what I say. He, in fact, said, blessed is he who believes when he doesn't see a thing. He says, believe my words. But he says this, if you don't believe my words, at least believe the works that I do, for they testify of me. Not long after, in the same sentence, same, same conversation, he says, in the same works that I do, you're going to do, but greater works than these will you do. We're going to go on in the next couple weeks to see what happens in Samaria. But tonight, I want to leave you with a very simple thought. 
I don't want to overload you with too much information tonight because I think this is more about God putting a fire in you to just go out and be who you are. You do not have to be the world's greatest evangelist. You don't have to be the world's greatest preacher, the great world's greatest speaker. Do you know all you need to do is be obedient to the voice of God and let the joy that's in you spill out on somebody. If you say, I don't have that joy, I'm not really excited. I mean, I, I used to be, but I don't feel that now. I'm telling you what you need. You need to get filled back up with the Holy Spirit. You need, to, you need to take some time away from whatever you're doing that's making your life so busy and give some room to him. Get into his word. Start, spend some more time in prayer. And it's not about doing all these things and something's going to happen. I'm just talking about making room for what God's already said he's going to do. Let him in. Get excited again. And then let that spill out on people. Tell somebody about the joy that's in you. And when you do, don't be afraid. You run across some sick people, you've got an answer. You run across people that are oppressed by evil spirits, you've got the answer for that. We want great joy in Lloydminster. But the apostles didn't preach in Samaria. The apostles weren't there. It was just a guy full of the Spirit that loved Jesus. He wasn't afraid to preach. He wasn't afraid to pray for somebody. He wasn't afraid to back up what he said. And I want to tell you, everybody in this room, if you know Jesus, if you're a believer, and you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you're an, you're an active agent in this city to bring joy into the city. Joy is not going to come from more stuff. Joy is not going to come with the oil industry. Joy is not going to come with the service industry. Joy is not going to come with, you know, another sports team. Joy is going to come. Great joy is going to come when Jesus, through you and the Holy Spirit, invades this city. Amen. I want great joy in Lloyd. Amen. I want to see it. I'm excited about it. And you know what? It doesn't have to be that you invite everybody to church. Invite people to church. Praise God. I'm for that. But you don't have to wait till you get to church. Thank God for church. There's a bunch of believers here. There's the word being preached. There's worship going up to God. It's a good place to bring somebody. But you know you bring the spirit with you. You bring the kingdom with you. You bring Jesus with you wherever you go. Great joy is coming to our city. And it's coming through you. So don't be afraid to just step out. Don't be afraid to start with one. Just one. Watch what God does with one. You know, sometimes we dream so big and we just picture us, you know, speaking to a group of 10,000 people and that's our dream. Someday I'm going to preach for 10,000 people. I'm going to, oh, there's a big crowd and I see it now and they're all cheering for Jesus. Yeah. Why don't you just start with one person? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And if you find yourself in front of 10,000 people, preach. But you know, God's going to set you up for that, isn't he? He might bring one, two, three people in front of you. Say, so watch what you do with these guys. Be faithful in little, he'll make you ruler over much, right? Hey, what, how, I mean, you know, when you first start preaching, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna feel like you're a little bit out of your element. When you, I mean, if you're not used to telling people about Jesus, the first couple times you might feel a little bit rusty. Practice on a couple people. They're still going to love you when it's all over. Or maybe they won't, but who cares? You got good news. 
This is the deal. We're not, we're not, we, God didn't tell us we had to go tell people a bunch of bad news. He let us go tell people good news. If I gave you, I mean, if I said we're going to give away $1,000 checks all over this city, and I gave you the job of going up and picking people and telling them you get a $1,000 check, you wouldn't say, why me? <laughs> what if they don't believe me? You're going to be excited. You get to go bring good news to people. You get to make their day. The gospel is good news, Amen. which brings great joy. Remember what the angel said? The angel said to the shepherds, I bring you great news, good news of great joy for everybody. And I love that. The gospel is good news. Number one, it's always good news. Now, maybe the first part of good news is that you need good news. You say, it may not sound like good news to tell somebody they're going to hell. But it's good news when you say you're going to hell. But good news. You don't have to. Right? <laughs> if people all around the city were dying of a disease and they didn't know they were dying, you don't lead off with, good news, I brought medicine. Because everybody would go, I don't need medicine. So you have to kind of lead off with the good news. Well, kind of bad news. You're all dying. Good news. You don't have to die. I brought medicine. See, that's the good news. So some maybe, you, maybe you might think you're not bringing good news when people say, oh, I don't like you. You make me feel like I'm a sinner. <laughs> you are a sinner. Good news. I was too. Good news. Jesus died for sinners. Good news. He loves you. That's good news. A <laughs> little bit of bad news. You're dying. Good news. I got the cure. Right? The good news definitely outweighs the bad news here. This gospel will be good news of great joy for all the people. I want you to embrace that all the people. Philip went to a city that a lot of people were afraid to ever go to. When the gospel is for everybody, I want you to think about the people in your life that you've automatically put a red light on. I can't go talk to them. They're already, you know, they're, they're spoken for. Because Jesus said, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through me. There's not a bunch of ways that lead to one thing. There's not a bunch of roads that lead to one destination. Jesus said, there's one way to God through me. So if you love somebody, you're going to tell them that. Lord, would you put a love for our city and us? Put a love for our friends Put a love for our coworkers and us because we want to see your joy fill this city. We want to see your gospel preached in places we've been afraid to preach it before. We want to see miracles take place in areas that everybody thought there could never be a miracle there. Lord, bring us the folks that everybody already gave up on. Bring us the people that everybody's already thrown in the towel with because we, we know there's nobody too far from your grace. There's nobody too far from your love. And right now, I pray that every single person here that your Holy Spirit was speaking to tonight, as they heard the word, their heart leapt at it. Every single person that said, yeah, yeah, I don't know how, but I want that. Lord, would you empower them? Empower them to go out in your word. Empower them. And give them that, that boldness, the guts to do it. Poke them at the right time so they'd know 
Give them a signal. Give them a sign. Let them know that now is the t- day of salvation. Today is the day. Now's the time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great joy in the city. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great night.